My guest today is Amani Roberts, DJ, music producer, professor, author, and podcaster based in Los Angeles, California. A veteran of the hospitality industry with over 20 years at the Marriott before switching to full-time DJ, Amani offers a unique combination of music expertise, teaching prowess, and business knowledge. Basically the perfect podcast guest. His company, The Amani Experience, takes clients on a music journey at every kind of event. Amani is currently a professor and center director at Cal State University Fullerton, a student at the Berklee College of Music in Boston, and an active music producer, DJ, and live streamer. Obviously, the event industry was demolished this past year, so I'm excited to hear Amani, aka DJ Amro, share what he's doing to adapt to replace that revenue loss and which adjustments will outlive the pandemic. Spoiler alert, you're about to get a class in Monetizing Twitch 101. Amani, thanks for being here. Thank you very much for having me, Grant. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to, to get into all of your various uh, uh, careers, jobs, job titles. So why don't we go ahead and start by having you just tell us about all the different hats that you wear. Absolutely. So I am Amani Roberts, professional DJ, DJ all around the world, also music producer, uh, an author, and I'm a professor at California State University Fullerton, with me also being the co-director of the Center for Entertainment and Hospitality Management there. Those are probably my four main job titles. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, let's start with your background and how you evolved into wearing all of those different hats? Uh, I went to Howard University in Washington, D.C. I was a business major with a minor in finance, and then I grew up in the world of Marriott. So I grew up in hotels. I started working at a hotel at 17 years old. I was the cashier. When you would go to the banquet to buy your drink tickets, that would be me. You'd buy your ticket, then go to the bartender. From there, I progressed to being a front desk clerk at the Washington Marriott. And I had an almost 20 year career with Marriott International, various jobs such as general manager, opened up a hotel, director of marketing at three large hotels across the country. My final job with Marriott was regional director of sales and marketing. And it was within my time at Marriott where I would travel around the different cities I was living in. And I had previously seen a DJ, DJ Bismarcky, when I was at Howard University and I had decided that I wanted to do what he did. But at that time, I mistakenly thought that that was not a legitimate career. And so I would travel around working for me in different cities, but I would still go watch the DJs. And then when it came to a time, I want to say 2008 is when I started my DJ company on the side and started to do like small events, little bars. And from there, it's been almost 14 years now, and I've grown to do events all over the world, different types of events, and it's been an interesting ride, but that kind of gives you an idea of where I started and where I am right now. Yeah, it's funny that you mistakenly thought that it wasn't a viable career option, like it's <laughs> like it's the equivalent of uh, you know, a basketball player or a baseball player saying, I, I want to go pro, people going, oh, that's cute, what are you, what are you really going to do when that doesn't pan out? And you kind of went, yeah. went the opposite leaving the the comfort of of corporate america and and job stability to eventually go into uh full-time djing 
Exactly. Like people, you know, you got to be careful who you listen to because people are saying, oh, you can't do DJ. You went to a business school, one of the best business school, you know, in the country. You have to go and, you know, run a company or, or be the director of finance at a company or director of marketing. You can't go and DJ parties on the radio. Like that's not what you went to get your degree for. And I listened to them. But because of the fact that I listened to them, it, it really uh, grew my hunger. So now I'm probably in a better position than if I had started off doing it because I'm just continually hungry. And, you know, I really want to kind of prove everyone, continue to prove people wrong. And do you think that, that your experience with Marriott helped get you to where you are, particularly with the professorship? A hundred percent. I think that taught me uh, basic like accounting skills, talked about marketing, branding, um, and it talked talk to me about just networking. Because uh, when I started working in sales in Marriott, like you can't sell anything if you don't have a relationship with people. People want to buy from you, not specifically your hotel or your city. And I think that my Marriott upbringing taught me almost everything I know about the business world. And I still use many of the strategies and tactics that I learned in Marriott now. And with Marriott, that, I think that, that, that the big name gives you some legitimacy when trying or when teaching. What, what's the class that you teach? What's the title? It's called BUAD 360 Entertainment Money Management. We talk about how hotels earn revenue, casinos, amusement parks. We get into uh, gaming, the gaming industry, how they earn revenue. Now we're into like music, how musicians earn money, record labels. From there, we'll go to streaming services, Hulu, Netflix, et cetera. And then we end off with movies. So how all those aspects earn revenue and then the careers that are involved with them. So the fact that I have a massive amount of experience in hospitality with Marriott, that's pretty much the first 25% of the class. And then we get into like gaming and music parks. And then we get into music in terms of like when you sign with the label, what does that mean when you release a song and you are independent? How fast you get your money? Where does the money come from? Where are the splits? Because I work in the music industry as a producer and as a DJ, I understand that. I'm a member of ASCAP, so we can really get into it and explain it at a simple level so students understand. And then we get into the streaming services and movies. And my experience, I, I was just really fortunate that it was just like a really good match. The way the opportunity came up was just random and I've still been there and it's been life-changing. So I would agree with you. Yeah. It seems like for a lot of that, you are, you, you have to be in a really small cross section of America of qualified candidates who can teach uh, and speak firsthand to so many of those different topics. Yeah. Just the stories that I can share. I know about how, for example, in the hotel industry, a lot of hotel success when you're working with your ownership groups has to, has to do with how well you're doing compared to your competition, which really is designed to look at, it's called a star report with Smith Travel. But I teach the students how these numbers show up on the report and what they mean and how you can factor in how busy the hotel is, what's the rate they're charging, and then you add in what kind of catering they're having. So they can see first the P&L statement, but then they can also see like, how are we doing against our competition, which is one of the ultimate uh, judges of what, what a hotel is doing. So not only do I tell them how teach them how to read the report, but I teach them what's behind the report so that then when they're going to a hotel to interview or they're working in this space, they understand it. And so they come out with skills that maybe some mid-level managers don't even have. And that's one thing that I've pride for because I want to prepare them to be able to speak intelligently with the general manager, with their directors and students come out and they're people like, oh, you know a lot about what's going on here and that they're impressed. Right. 
Right. It sounds like a class I, I want to take. Just sounds, it just <laughs> sounds, just sounds fun. <laughs> Everyone says, it's fun. They do not like my exams. My exams are very challenging, and the students really have an objection to them. But in the long run, they understand what I was trying to do. Well, it's all Well, I just said I, I just want so. to take the class. I, 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 don't, I don't need to pass it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny <laughs> so because this is the the pre-covid set I, I do want to talk a little bit about kind of what did your average week look like uh during the school year before covid so let's say t 2019 yeah that's funny so 2019 i would teach on tuesdays and thursdays i would um at the same time, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and sometimes Tuesday, Thursday, I'm always trying to sell different uh, groups in terms of um, bookings for DJ business. Um, I would usually have a gig on a Friday evening, whether it be a private event, maybe at a club, a bar. Saturday, it might be a time for a social event, depending on what time of year it was or what was booked. Social events, primarily like a wedding. And then during the week, it would be a mixture between like corporate events. If I had a corporate event, a lot of times they'd be during the week. Um, and those are just the events that I have. I'm also active in a couple organizations, which take up my time, you know, Monday through Sunday too. So it was really just like bucketing my time in terms of teaching, preparing to teach, grading papers, resourcing and doing business development for my business, networking through the associations that I was part of. And, you know, I would take classes too, like I, before this year, I would take um, piano classes every Wednesday, which also doubled as a remix class because I work with a remix partner. So I would be learning piano and taking remix classes. That's every Wednesday and then working on the homework there. Um, and that was primarily my work week pre-COVID. Okay, good. I, I like that you're staying within the, the timeline bounds here because you know we're going to get to mid-COVID and <laughs> talk all about uh, how, how things have changed. Um, as staying within that, that pre COVID box, how you, we, we, you shared about how your, your time was broken down. How was your revenue broken down as far as uh, what share came from, from teaching, what share came from DJing, what share came from, uh, you know, the other kind of sprinkle of business that you have going on? My majority will come from DJing and I, I, we looked at the numbers, I think it's like 55%, almost 60% would come from DJing events. Then you'd have another maybe 20% would come from teaching, um, which brings up to 75, and then another 20, 25% from like uh, other tertiary things, maybe be some writing um, and kind of other avenues, you know. And I'll add like, I would also teach students how to DJ too, but we can add that to the DJ bucket. And so that's generally how it broke down. The majority was uh, DJing, then teaching, then like writing and some other aspects there. Okay. And were, was the, the teaching, the teaching, the DJing, DJ teaching, was that in person? Was that over Zoom? All in person. All in person, like of course. people's homes. No one had ever heard of Zoom. come to my right. studio. Yeah. yeah, all in person. Okay. Um, and do you, do, uh, with your events, you're in, in Fullerton, which for, pe for people who aren't super familiar with you know, anywhere in in California that isn't San Diego, LA, San Francisco. Where's Fullerton? Fullerton, let me look at the map now. It's like I go from my house, I go east and a little bit south near Anaheim. So Fullerton's kind of on the way to Disney World, east on the 91. So it's a little bit southeast of where I live. Okay. But when you're, I guess I asked that really, um, I should have just been explicit. <laughs> really, where are you doing your, your in-person events? 
oh, primarily like Los Angeles, ranging from like Hollywood, Santa Monica, South Bay, down to Orange County, kind of that area right there. A few events will be in Palm Springs, a few in Santa Barbara, but primarily LA, LA area primarily. Anything ever in San Diego? Not yet, but I'm open to oh, it. Man, get I'm get down here it. so I can uh, <laughs> I'm ready. Know, not have to commute. And... <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> All right. Um, well, I, I think uh, I think we are good. Actually, you know what? One last question. What were you looking forward to in 2020? Kind of what what were your original plans, I guess, plans, reasonable, attainable goals for 2020 as of like January? Yeah, 2020 was set up to be my big, biggest year ever. I had a book launch that was scheduled to be April 12th, 2020. I had set up events to do all over the world where I would go talk about my book, DJ events, whether it be um, LA area, Chicago, DC, Miami, Australia. I was working on things in the UK, like it was coming together. I have been grinding since I left Marriott to really eclipse what I was earning there on a level that could be duplicated. And I was just set up coming into the year just very well. I had also been making progress as a teacher. I had been improving in my classrooms. They were asking me if I wanted to become full-time. If I did, I would have to go and get a graduate degree. So I was trying to figure out how to fit that all in. It was just all coming together. It had been a long road, but it was like I could see the light at the end of the tunnel because it was starting to make sense. Um, teaching fits very well with the DJ life. And so it just, I was so fortunate that I was able to stumble into this. It was working. I was going to add the book onto my um, earnings because you can get earned money selling books. And just that gave me more credibility in the industry. And so, you know, looking back, I was really set up to really just have an amazing year. And I, I assume most of that travel would have been, especially to the UK and to, to Australia, would that have been summertime travel? Yeah, it was set up to starting in like late May through middle of August like a like a summertime tour because I that's when I stopped teaching is like right. around graduation time and then start up end of August and it, it just it was fit right in that pocket. I would continue to book events. People were doing well. I would come back on weekends or different time periods and have a couple of weddings, high profile weddings. It, I had done well. I had done well to set it all up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the more I think about it, the more it, uh, truth there is in in, in your statement, uh, or more obvious truth there is in your statement about how uh, teaching pairs really well with DJing from a scheduling standpoint because teaching your low season is going to be the summer which is going to be your high season for DJing especially obviously weddings uh, and then as far as a, a week-to-week schedule during the school year you're generally going to be uh, your your high time for teaching is going to be during the week and that's going to pair well with obviously weekend events which is going to be your high time for DJing yeah I think also, just to add on to yeah. what you said, because you're exactly right, is just when you're specifically teaching in class, it's like the middle of the day. It's the morning. Once you're done, it could be 3 or 4 p.m. So you can still go and do DJ events in the evening time. You know, if there's a chance where you're double booked, there's a DJ gig during the time when you teach, you can have a virtual class. So we were doing that even before uh, pandemic. Like you can have a class section offline, give them an assignment, they can come back because the students when they see you working in the field and they say, okay, I have a gig, this is this time, they kind of like that because that lets them know that what you are teaching, you're actually performing. You're actually in it kind of with them. Right, you're relevant. And 
irrelevant and it, it just helps and it fits and we'll talk about it later but it, it just really it fits so well on so many levels that i had not even considered before right there's the the old insulting adage that those who can't do teach but you're proving yeah. that that to be oh no very wrong yeah yeah that's that's actually i'm glad you mentioned that because that's actually an inspiration for teaching and continuing to teach both you know the collegiate level and teaching people how to dj i think that statement is very very false and i'm just here to kind of prove people prove it wrong yeah. week after week yeah <laughs> you get me fired up yeah well, I, I want to hear about what happened, what actually happened in 2020, and, and obviously get to what we're looking forward to in 2021. But before we move on to our mid-COVID set, it's time, as always, for our guests, Unsponsored. Unsponsored being an awesome company run by awesome people who produce an awesome product. They don't pay for a shout out, but they deserve one for the work that they're doing. So, Amani, tell us, who is today's show not brought to us by? Today's show is not brought to us by Judy Holler from Holla Productions. She has this amazing book called Fear is My Homeboy. I met Judy once. I saw her speak at an MPI uh, conference. It was in Las Vegas. And what really caught my attention is she had the courage to talk about fear. We all know how fear kind of stops us and won't let us pursue what we want to. And she attacks that. And she attacks it with some hip hop flair, which I appreciate. Um, so I was able to interview her for my podcast. I actually did her book launch event in Chicago. She continues to post and has a podcast where she talks about it and how to get over fear through the lens of improv, where there's no mistakes, only gifts. And she's just an amazing uh, speaker, inspirational, and I, I love her and I love what she stands for. So that's that's what I'm bringing to you today. And if our listeners want to learn more about her, what's the best way to do that? Go to, it's judyholler.com and it's J-U-D-I-H-O-L-L-E-R.com. You can find her also on Instagram. She's really active there and she has a podcast too where you can Google her name and it pops right up. Yeah, and on Insta, it's just at Judy Holler. Exactly, yeah. All right. Let's get to our mid-COVID set and begin pretty much as we always do by just going over what was the first professional impact that you felt from the pandemic. I think it was March 9th, 2020. I did in kind of an introduction. It was like the this hotel, the Anaheim Marriott. It was going to be a brand new JW Marriott in Anaheim was going to open. I did their like associate welcome. They were set to open, lots of business on the books. And then things got shut down three days later. I mean, within let's say three or four days, I had no more bookings for the rest of the year. They had all kind of gone away. At first people were trying to postpone, but Pretty, pretty much they just went all the way. So I lost all my income from DJing. Um, teaching quickly went to virtual. So I had to figure out how to teach my class virtually when I'm like an instructor where we write on the whiteboard together. We do a lot of group activities. It's really engaging because that's how many, many of students nowadays learn. So I had to deal with, you know, mentally, my business looks like it's going away for a good period of time. I still have a full class of students that are looking to graduate in two months that I have to teach them. And I had to figure out how am I gonna earn revenue because 60% of my revenue has gone away. What am I gonna do? Um, I was very thankful that with teaching, I still had benefits because you have to think about like, I didn't know if I was gonna get sick. We didn't know what was going right. on. I need to be covered. Um, so that's kind of what happened March 13th to like March 20th. 
That seems like a, a really accelerated timeline relative to a lot of people who I have spoken with on this show who seem to, um, I think a, a very common experience is kind of uh, seeing things evolve sort of slowly coming to the realization of, as to the severity of the situation. It sounds like maybe because you were dealing with larger corporate clients, at least within the, the Marriott space, that they may have been a little bit more aggressive in terms of their <laughs> aggressive in their uh, being conservative and very quickly shutting down events. Does that seem? Yeah. Uh, the way my events work is that I don't have a significant amount way in the future. I run a nice 30 to 90 days is when a lot of my events okay. generally occur. Mm -hmm. And so because of that fact, you know, we knew pretty quickly 30 days from now and that wasn't happening. Initially we thought, oh, this is only the last two or three weeks. But then very quickly we could see what was happening over in Europe and over, you know, in other countries that it was a little more severe. So events first they want to say, okay, let's postpone until September, October. That's good. But then quickly we saw that's probably not going to be likely. We're going to be this for a while. Let's just, you know, people were canceling or they wouldn't book, they wouldn't sign contracts. And very quickly, we were able to say, it's not going to happen. Maybe it'll happen in the fall. And right. um, that's, that's kind of the timeline that initially I saw. And it just continued to get worse. Yeah. And worse. <laughs> and worse. And what what was that like for you mentally having put into, you know, putting in all that work, writing a book, ready for release? The book is is DJ's Mean Business, uh, which is basically exactly what you would think it is based off of uh, listening to your explanation of the, t of the class that you teach. It seems to be, you know, go hand in hand. Uh, what was it like? Yeah, what, what was it like mentally, emotionally kind of coping with the the knowledge that your industry was going to be hit really, really hard. I mean, it was going to be one of the first to go and probably last to come back because obviously DJing in person is built around the exact opposite of what the CDC would recommend, right? In person, yeah, <laughs> shoulder to shoulder for extended periods of time, oftentimes indoors. Yeah, I think um, the first emotion that I felt, I was just really scared. I was scared that is my company going to be able to last? Am I still going to be able to have this business? Um, because, you know, we could be like this for two or three years. Like we didn't know. So it was just a combination of fear. Um, it was a combination of just like trepidation, like not knowing what tomorrow would bring. And then it was trying to figure out, well, what can I do personally just to stay sane? Because no business stuck inside. Like that's, you know, I have a dog, but that's it. That's not a recipe for mental, <laughs> right. mental stability, you know, and I thrive off being around people. So I was really just scared. I was really worried, like emotionally. Um, then, you know, there's always the fear about getting sick. Um, and so that's just kind of what I had to deal with. And then you're looking uh, and talking to other peers. So a lot of peers were in denial, say, oh, this will pass. This won't happen. Other peers were like, you know what? I'm not DJ anymore. I'm going to try to find a job, figure out what I can do, whether it be uh, Instacart or some of the delivery services that were popping up and being really popular. Um, and this is all these emotions I have to deal with, but I still have a class to teach, two classes to teach. And I had to plan a book launch that was not going to be in person. So we had to figure out, I can't let this momentous occasion pass by without doing something. 
Um, so then it was a process of trying to figure out, well, what can I do? How am I going to have to, how am I going to pull this book launch off? What can I do so I can still, you know, have music a part of my life where it has always been a part of my life and it helps me get through the tough times. So it was a mixture of fear, trepidation, um, you know, emotionally, just like confusion. It was just a whole bunch of emotions packed up all into one every day and staying away from the news because they would try to really put the fear into you even more. So right. that's, that's what I remember. <laughs> and professionally, knowing that well, seeing your your book of business basically get whittled down to to zero in terms of upcoming events, what was the the timeline and the process like for you as you started to search out new ways, new 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 money making uh, ventures? I think the first excellent decision that I made was I started to investigate and learn about live streaming. I, I do a podcast also, and I had guests lined up. And so we had to shift these conversations from in-person to virtually. Um, you could try Zoom, recording on Zoom, but I wanted something where maybe I could get some sort of engagement from other people who were also at home. So that's when I discovered um, StreamYard and I would just broadcast uh, my podcast interviews. Um, and I was allowed to broadcast them onto YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Twitch. I know about Twitch before because it's part of the class that I teach. And so this gave me a chance to maybe dabble into it a little more. And so pretty quickly, like middle of March, end of March, I started to live stream the broadcast onto these platforms and said, oh, okay, this, this will work for me getting content out there. So at least keeping people that I'm still kind of around interviewing people, just a little bit of content. That was the key. Then I added on a DJ set to Twitch facebook and instagram because all the djs were doing it you get shut down on facebook you get shut down on instagram but twitch they would let you go you wouldn't get shut down or whatever so i i started to do one day a week slow jams wednesday nights 9 p.m pacific on uh you know twitch facebook instagram kept that going for a while and then just kind of did that from there um and you have things on twitch where you get affiliate status then you get emotes people can subscribe and by the time you get to June or July, so now we're about three or four months into pandemic, I start to see on Twitch what I taught that people subscribe, you can earn money off of it. You're like, okay, this is interesting. I'm getting a little bit of money, you know, 50 bucks, $200, $200 a month. I'm like, well, this is not a bad thing. I'm just going from my home. Let me maybe try to increase my efforts. So I, then I started to stream two, um, two days a week on Twitch and still Instagram. I gave up on Facebook because they keep shutting you down. You didn't get your account banned. So I said, forget it. I'll do Instagram. Real quick, what, why, do they, why do they shut you down? It's because of the DMCA, um, Digital Millennium Copyright Act. And it's not the music you're playing. It's because Facebook and Instagram, they'll record it. And they'll record it. And they the record labels object because they can't monetize it. So they shut you down. You have to start it up again. It's And they have an algorithm that will just automatically do that. Got it. OK. Um, but Twitch, but no Twitch, problem. Twitch will let you do it live right now. They'll let you perform live. And on the back end, they'll mute it so people can't listen to the specific songs that the record labels have issues with. They'll mute those songs on your stream you're recording. Because the key, the challenge is recording. And that's when you get into sync licensing and, you know, artists need to be compensated, but they don't have a system set up properly right now. Right. Um, and so 
then you're looking up in like Twitch, you're like, okay, a couple hundred dollars and you keep kind of doing, I say, okay, well, let's add another day. So then it was going to be Sundays, Wednesdays, and another day streaming on Twitch. And finally it was like, we're getting to like August now. So it's obvious we're not coming back anytime soon for anything in person. Um, and a DJ colleague of mine said, DJ Flossie, she said, what if we just stream for 30 days in a row? Just do, do, do a 30 day in a row stream and let's see what happens. And so we decided to do that. And so I ended up doing 54 days in a row streaming from early August to the September 24th. And that is when I saw the value of streaming. My kind of profile kind of grew. I was able to exceed certain uh, followers. I was able to achieve more money than I had ever seen on Twitch and Imagine. And um, that's just a long story of just how I got the live streaming aspect startup because honestly, besides teaching since March, live streaming has bought me the most revenue. Right. And it, it hasn't replaced uh, what I would have earned in events, but it's something. Yeah. And so that kind of, and, and, yeah, that kind of. Oh. And is there the potential, do you see potential there for it to, to exceed what you were, or, or at least meet, if not exceed what you were making through in-person DJing? Yes. I, I see the potential. It's a combination of how you get compensated with scholar um, subscriptions, but really the one aspect that I'm really trying to add is sponsorships. If you can get sponsorships so that, you know, you're every time you stream, it's like a show. And if you get sponsorships for these shows that you're streaming, then that's legit money. There's no middleman. You'd have to share any, any of this money with Amazon. It comes straight to you, you perform it. And then you could take these shows that you're doing and it doesn't matter what platform you're using to stream them. You could stream them or put them on YouTube. But once you have sponsors and they sign up and they are partner with you for months at a time, that is revenue that is guaranteed as long as you meet the commitment. And that is what you want because... Stability. Yeah, it's built in and you don't have to share it with the Twitch or Amazon, the middleman. And plus then it can trickle over to different things that you're doing outside of streaming. And it can just be a really, really cohesive and well-rounded relationship. And that's the key in my opinion. So I think it can actually exceed if you stick with it and continue to grow your programming and grow your audience, it can exceed what you could, what, what you could have earned in real life. So then once you add on a couple of real life events, you can really, really start to grow also. Right. I mean, I guess that makes, makes sense mathematically. Like if you're doing an in-person event for a, you know, if you're doing a 200 person wedding, okay, great. You're as a DJ, you're going to make, I, I don't know, uh, two, three grand, four grand, so, something in that mm -hmm. ballpark, but it's, it's going to be capped is right. It's a, it's a flat fee. Maybe you get tipped at the end, but that's, you know, relatively nominal. Whereas, as with the internet, generally, uh, there isn't a cap on there. So it's going to be tough to get started. Like you said, you're making, you're doing it for free. You're doing it for 50 bucks, et cetera, but it has the potential to scale up. Yes. Yes, uh, absolutely. Do you see yourself continue? Ooh, I'm starting to get ahead of myself here into the pre post COVID <laughs> segment, but do, do you see yourself continuing to do the continuing to do Twitch even beyond and, and other live streaming, even beyond COVID? Yes. Okay. That, yes, that I do. Sense. And I'll, I will add COVID um, live streaming to options for people in person also. That That's what I will do too. Oh, interesting. I had one question. <laughs> Was it about the live streaming or the 54 days in a row or Twitch or... Because we're in no, the book launch. Will anything pop up or... Oh, I do. Want, yeah. Well, the, the book launch. So obviously you, you had... Actually, real quick, 
Kaylin, uh, note note to my <laughs> to the researcher. We're gonna scratch out all of that uh, brain fart right there. <laughs> Before we move on to the to the post COVID set, though, I do want to talk about the the book launch. So you said that I believe April twelfth was the original date, and you were looking to go to the UK, looking to go to Australia. Obviously, no one's going to Australia because they basically shut things down and insulated themselves as the as they can as an as an island. Um, what what actually happened when you released the book? Because obviously you had things printed and uh, had an inventory. So how how yeah. how did that go? I did a virtual book launch, um, and I had learned some skills. It's amazing when I look back. Like I was only three weeks into streaming, and I learned enough to do a virtual book launch, have it go live on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. Um, I had three performers. One of my good friends, Vitoris, performed. I had two students perform during the book launch. I DJed. I read from the book. I did Q&A. It was like a good two-hour book launch. I had over 120 people tuned in on Facebook, which was a massive amount of people for me. It was extremely successful. And for the learning curve that I had, I'm so proud because... I was still a baby in the live streaming world. I didn't know about OBS. I was just doing StreamYard. I, you know, I had a camera here. You know, it's funny when I look at it now, I can see how I could improve it, but it it went off so well. And people were engaged and asking questions. So people were tuned in. I had the guests. It was, that's what I did. I'm very proud. It went well. The book company that I work with used my virtual book launch as a model for other people who are launching books during the year. And they still, people still doing virtual book launches because I think that's something you can do even if you have a real book launch because that allowed me to reach people in the UK, Africa, um, you know, uh, the Netherlands. Like there are people all over watching it, Canada. So that's what happened. I did it the 14th, it was a Thursday. I had some of my students that would attend. One of my uh, DJ friends and one of my students helped me like behind the scenes. It went very well. I was very fortunate to take the risk to do it virtually, to learn as much as I could, and just to go for it. Right, right. Well, it sounds like it went as well as it could have, and it also sounds like all of this experience is going to be is is going to add content and value to your class that you teach. Yeah, yeah. I think um, just how you were talking about when you say that thing, those who can't teach that's just a really big example of how that's false because I didn't know how to live stream, but we did it for the book launch. We have proof that it worked. I, you know, had never really experienced doing an event where it was on Twitch and all these different platforms, but we did it. And the fact that we did it, we then transferred that experience to doing an actual campus event over the summer to other events throughout the summer and things. So it just really was a springboard for me to, have the comfort to try new things and to make it happen throughout the pandemic and definitely not sit on my laurels and definitely learn new skills and try it out and let's go. Yeah. Well, I don't think anyone would accuse you of sitting and sitting on your laurels or resting <laughs> on your laurels and uh, trying to wait this thing out. It seems like you like to stay busy and are doing a lot to it to adapt to the situation. Um, yeah. I want to move on to our post COVID set, which you know, I, I named these segments or created these segments at the very, you know, March of, of 2020, back when we thought post-COVID was going to be this thing that was only like, you know, a month or two or three out. Uh, but really what it what it is now at this point is basically, what are you, what changes will you, have you made that you will implement forever that will, that are going to stick around? How do you see the the industry evolving out of COVID? Um, and basically what are your, what's your next set of goals? But before we do, 
because uh, you know we're a gigantic monetizing uh, podcast, we're going to take a quick break so that our corporate overlords can have a, a, a quick uh, a quick say. A quick word from our sponsor, inspired very directly by this podcast, my new company, Maker Day. Maker Day provides unforgettable remote group experiences led by the makers themselves. So think of a Zoom happy hour or wine tasting led by the winemaker herself, or a chocolate experience that starts by tasting a flight of single-origin dark chocolate and ends by hand-rolling your own truffles led by the chocolatier and small business owner herself. We have kombucha, matcha, cocktails, Turkish coffee, improv, yoga, trivia, and more, always, always, always led by the small business owners themselves. So not only do you and your whole group get amazing products sent directly to each participant, but you'll be inspired by the passion, expertise, and entrepreneurial spirit of the people leading your Zoom. Let our makers make your day with Maker Day. That's M-K-R-D-A-Y dot com. Maker Day. Okay, Amani. So we're recording this in mid-April 2021. Immunizations are being administered at about a 3 million per day, a rate of 3 million per day. So figure we're going to be coming up on uh, 100 million a month. It looks like we should be theoretically achieving herd immunity at some point here in the summer. What are you looking forward to um, most and, and kind of how do you see your, the, the, the specifically the, the, in-person events coming back and how are they going to look different i suppose than they did previously or is it too early to tell no i think you're seeing some indications already especially around the country where other areas are more open than other areas i think um we'll see a return to in-person events i think there's a lot of pent-up demand so you'll see plenty of them for me personally i'm gonna be probably even more selective in terms of the in-person events that i take i'm not just going to take everything I think um, I'm really going to focus on what the client wants, if it's a good fit, and stick, stick to my rates. I, th I think that what this has taught me is that I have an incredible value and that th there will be a lots of people out there who can pick from a lots of DJs and entertainment companies. But the value I have with what I bring to the table, specifically now that I'm going to add in the live streaming option to all my offerings, I think that that will you know, continue to set me apart. Plus the experience, like I have a year's worth of doing events. I can, my microphone skills have improved tremendously and that's kind of looking forward. I, th I think that corporates events will always have some sort of virtual component to it because they're always going to be people who just aren't comfortable attending events for at least the next couple of years. And I can help you with that. I can do in-person and virtual. So I'm just going to be a little more selective. Um, so really this, is, this I... has increased your value. Yes, because because you've yes. leaned in and put in the work to be able to uh, accommodate, I guess, the, the needs of the yes. times, which is not going to be no one's just going to flip the switch and have it go revert back to the way it was. There's going to be an evolution, a slow evolution back into those real world in-person events. But there's going to be a, a carryover from the from the virtual space. Exactly. Yeah, that um, also like. 
I was moderating conversations before. I can do that much even better now. And I'm going to add that into offerings. Like if people want someone to moderate a you know, panel discussion at a conference, um, specifically if it's focused on like hospitality, the music industry, like the knowledge that I'm acquiring now, both with the school I'm attending and the association I'm part of, like I could be your moderator for that. I moderate conversations on my broadcast when I'm streaming for the pod for the uh, on on Twitch also. So I got a long reel. I have a reel of work there. So I'm going to add that to the offerings. So it's really just making me a more valuable asset for a company or an individual to bring in to work their event. Right. And one thing that I, I don't think I I mentioned, but or I don't think we mentioned this, but you're taking classes at the Berkeley School of Music right now. Yes, I'm in the process of getting my master's in music business because just how you asked before, like, how has this experience changed me? Well, prior to getting shut down, I had already wanted to maybe add in teaching to be full time. So you have to get your master's so that you can become like an official ten not I'm tenured, I don't want to be tenured, but full time professor. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm taking classes, I'm over halfway through the program there doing it online. Like I'm going to set myself up to be a full-time professor, like we talked about before, because it fits well with the DJ life, but in the music business aspect, like that excites me. I love teaching students about the music business and learning. And so that's something else that I'm just adding to me personally and professionally that increases my value yet again. Right. And as we look forward to the quote unquote end of COVID and the return of these in-person events, is there a pent up demand from the canceled events that you had to deal with during, you know, over the course of the last year, especially the first month or two of COVID where you had people who had already kind of put down money, put down deposits, reserved their time. How, how, first of all, how was it dealing with those people? And second of all, um, do a lot of those do they are they planning on utilizing your services here in the, in the coming months as they uh especially with the, like with the marriott you know there's obviously going to be a, yeah. a return to the in-person events yeah i think um i definitely learned a lot about the force majeure clause what to include what not to include i think that my clauses will be much tighter moving forward I, yes i think there will be um some pent-up demand it depends how long people want to wait. Is the longer they wait, the bigger the events can be. Right now, if they wanted to have their event, it, it can only be much, it could be very small. You know, of course, you know, there has to be like mass people there. People might choose to wait a while so that things open up so that, that maybe there's no more mass restrictions in place so that they can have, you know, an event that kind of looks similar to how it was before. So I think you have a mixture of both. I think that when it comes to weddings, you know, people try to wait, like, let's get married so we can continue with our lives. I think that's one space where it might be smaller in person, but then if they add on the, the live streaming component, they can include other family members from across the country, specifically family members who might still be at risk for catching COVID and getting sick. Um, I think you'll see an increase there. Um, and I just think you're going to continue to see people be very creative with their events, like maybe instead of having one event of 150, 200 people, they might have an evening function with 60 people, another function the next day with 50 people, and another function the following day with 60. They'll break it up because you have to have in small groups. Different people will come to different events. Venues will be flexible because they wanting to bring in the business like it was before. I think you'll see that as a trend. And, um, you know, I just, those are maybe the, the two trends that I think, and I think it will return, but it's going to look very different than how it looked before. Yeah. Uh, I have 
a few questions here from our from our researcher and and college student <laughs> Kaylin, uh, which I thought right. would be particularly appropriate given uh, you know <laughs> that that a, a large part of what you do is teaching people like Kaylin. Um, so question number one, when everything became virtual in response to the pandemic, did you develop a new perspective about or, or any realizations about being a DJ and professor that wouldn't have happened if it, if it weren't for the year of isolation and stay at home orders? Yes. Number one, um, talking on the microphone, learning how to engage with a chat, a scrolling chat that would be coming either up on Zoom or Twitch or any platform is a skill you must practice and get better at. Uh, number two, usually DJing, you might be triple tasking in person or quadruple tasking. When you're doing something virtual, you have to, I forget the word, it's like quintask it. You have to do five or six things at once. It's an amazing balancing act. It's crazy. Uh, so that would be two, three, because of the fact that I stayed active and engaged in virtually DJing, I now have connections all over the world that will bring me out to perform events in Brazil, in the UK, in Australia. So I've, I've expanded my network. You know, I have maybe over 3,300, almost 3,500 followers on uh, Twitch. Those are people I did not know before. I knew maybe three of them before. And so I've just expanded my network tremendously. I have also grown my email list during during uh, Twitch because I have a little thing to sign up for that. Um, I've expanded my teaching opportunities. So now I teach people about live streaming too, partnering with a gentleman in New York City. So those are three ways that it's just changed me forever um, going virtually. So you, basically, it sounds like you adapted to the needs of the times and because of your ability to teach and and, and um, I guess desire, background, skill set heading into COVID that you basically just added value to your to the different subjects that you're able to teach, both in your class, both in classroom and out of classroom. Yes. Now monetizing that initially was not able to, but now as we move forward, I'll be able to add that that adds value and more money to me. Yes. Right. Right. And especially, I, th I feel like um, being taught over Zoom is something that's been normalized. So for someone like you, you might actually be able to teach more one-on-ones if that's what people what people were looking for because of thanks to COVID and kind of normalizing that process. You don't need to, um, you know, for some reason, I'm, I'm thinking of like the, the quintessential dropping the kid off for piano lessons. <laughs> yeah. You don't need to do that. Yep. No, not not anymore, but I had to learn how to do it because it's different than in person. Right. So this has allowed me to learn how to do that. Yeah. Yes, yes, definitely. Uh, as an insider into the, you know, the world of DJing and, and teaching, um, are there similarities between being a professor and a DJ slash music producer? Yes. I think that the first similarity is that you have to learn how to read a room. Whether I'm DJing at a club and you put on a song and the crowd responds well, well, you better keep going down that avenue. Same thing in teaching. If we're talking about a subject, you're getting a lot of engagement from the students and you kind of figure out that they enjoy talking about it and like this method, stick to that method. On the contrary, if I put on a song and I'm DJing and the crowd starts to leave the dance floor, okay, maybe switch it up. If I'm teaching a current subject and use and the students are kind of eyes glazed over and kind of nodding off or not responding, let's maybe change how I'm teaching it or maybe add the subject a different way. So that's a direct parallel. And, and I didn't realize that until I started teaching and it's very, very similar. That's my favorite uh, example. I think 
something in the DJ world we call pro programming, which is picking the right song at the right time and playing it for the right amount of time. Same thing I learned in teaching. If we're gonna cover a subject, let's pick the proper amount of time to cover the subject, cover the subject, and then keep it moving. Like I know that the way we learn nowadays is in short bursts, so you can't drag it on and you'll lose people's attention <clears throat> if you teach a subject for a long period of time. If you play a song for too long in the club, you're gonna lose people's attention in the club too, or in a party. So you have to just short burst, keep it moving. You can always come back to it later. Um, those will probably be the two main direct similarities between teaching and the DJ world. I, I love that about re reading the room. Uh, how has the, the demographic of your supporters, listeners, subscribers changed, you think, when switching from live events to Twitch? And because the majority of Twitch users, I believe, tend to skew younger, do you see that, do you imagine your DJ events looking different coming out of the pandemic? It's ironic that you say the fact about younger, because my demographic on Twitch is older, probably about 33, 34 to about 55, 60. Oh, really? That's the, demogra that's the demographic of people that follow me on Twitch. Twitch, the younger people are the gamers, things like that. Right. So I, I don't really trend too young on Twitch and that, I guess I kind of knew that, but this is further confirmation, just kind of the, my personality, the music that I love to play, like it's the nineties, eighties, old school, like those people gravitate to it. And it doesn't matter whether they're living in Ohio, Florida, London, Australia, Africa, Japan. Right, right. It's the same age demographic, Germany. It's the same demographic, which is amazing that people around the world, doesn't matter where they live, gravitate to similar types of music, and it's a similar age. Race doesn't matter. It's the age and everything. It's it's, it's an amazing case study. Wow. Fascinating. Yeah. Uh, as we sort of look to, to wrap things up, what are you looking forward to? I just want to kind of look maybe six to 12 months down the line. What, what are you looking forward to most? Um, number one, finishing grad school. <laughs> number two, uh, going back to teaching in person. Um, that's going to be exciting and because I'm, I'm adding a third class in the fall. Um, three, I'm working on my second book, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to that and continuing that process. Four, just using Twitch and this live streaming to add other options for me to continue to fall and stay in love with DJing. Because when you're on Twitch, you can play what you want. You don't have a club manager or a client or anyone whispering in your ear, play this for this long, do this. You can play what you want for however long you want. Um, um, I also have different shows on Twitch, like a dating show, a newlywed show, interview show, just continuing to involve with content that I'm creating. I, I, a year ago, I would have said, you're crazy if I have a dating show that I do on Twitch, I have a newlywed show, but now that I've seen it and I can do it, it's just really inspiring and, and pushing me to continue it, to keep it moving forward. Because if you're a content creator, you can create unique content, people will find you and people will stay. And I've seen that with, with what I've done, I just want to keep it going. And this is, uh, you're obviously going to make an educated guess, but we don't know how the world is going to evolve. So I'm, I'm curious to for you to hear how you um, how you foresee your revenue breaking down for, let's say, the last half of 2021 and first half of 2022. Where, where, how's that pie going to be sliced? 
I think that that pie will be sliced. I think definitely DJing will still kind of be dropping. It'll increase a little bit. Maybe more will be teaching. Um, so I think that maybe now. And by the way, when I have you back on in a, in a year from now, this is this is the segment that we're we're gonna we're gonna play back and we're gonna see just how close <laughs> your predictions were to reality. I love it. I love so it. So let, let's use like, some real numbers here. All right, real. heading into the or pre-COVID, you said it was about. Uh, a quarter of it was teaching, two quarters was uh, DJing, mm -hmm. and then you had one more quarter that was kind of uh, those yeah. those ancillary tertiary yeah. uh, books, speaking, DJ, you know, the, the other things. Yeah. How do we see that I, moving I forward in the, in the, in the D next 12 months? D DJing, probably 40%. Uh, teaching, probably another, I'll say 40%. 40, 40, 20, the, the miscellaneous things. So I think that teaching will be more revenue than DJing the last half of 2021 and beginning of 2022. And do you see wh what percentage of DJing is made up by Twitch? In, tw in, in yeah. let's say, in six months. I'll give it another six months growth. Yeah. Probably over half of what I earn. Half, over half, half, half of your DJ slice will mm -hmm. be from Twitch. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's a, a great segue to to end out on. Which, with uh, of course, my last question is: if listeners want to continue to listen to you, they want to, um, you know, let's let's see, where can they find your book? And then, of course, how can they listen to you? Find more, find out more about you uh, if they want to tune into the to the newlywed or to the to the dating to the newlywed, et cetera. <laughs> give give us all our options here. The book is on Amazon um, or Barnes and Nobles. Just Google uh, DJs Mean Business. You can find it there. All the socials are at Amani Experience, whether it be Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that. You can find me on LinkedIn, Amani Roberts. Twitch is twitch.tv backslash Amani Experience. And you'll see all my programming there Monday through Wednesday and some Saturdays is when I'm streaming. Uh, my schedule's up and that's where people can find me and just say hello. Tell me how you met me and I love to have a conversation. Love it. Amani, thank you. Amani slash DJ Amro. Thank you so much. <laughs> there we go. Thank you so much for coming <laughs> on, man. I appreciate it. This was I, great. Thank you for having me, Grant. I had a great time. All right. Great. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Um, so that is that concludes the the main body of our work all we have left right. is just the bonus round all right here we go yes um so let's see the three questions that i am going to ask you uh i will just i'm going to read off the different questions and mm -hmm. you can kind of tell me which ones you i don't know get you the most animated we'll say got it yeah <laughs> uh so what's your least favorite question about your business to receive at a party you said, do events really need a DJ? Yes. Uh, what are some common misconceptions about your business? And I can put these in the chat, too. Um, uh-huh. Go ahead. Uh, uh-huh. What are some common misconceptions about your business? And you said DJs are just uh, button pushers and not essential to the, to, uh, to, the, to the success of an event. It's easy to become a DJ and acquire high-profile events. DJs aren't worth the rates that are asking for. It seems like you, you, got, you had a, uh, a bunch yes. there. That was an easy one to answer. Yes. Yes. Okay, so let's uh let's do that one. Um 
let's see. Um, these two are pretty similar, so maybe we could combine these answers. But I said, what are your biggest sources of stress from work? And what is something you feel non-small business owners uh, would have a hard time empathizing or wouldn't wouldn't uh, wouldn't know isn't obvious uh, don't or or can't understand about your work stresses and your answers to those two were uh, the stresses were consistently being able to have high value business throughout a calendar year and then um, the things that people might might understand would be how volatile the lead volume and business levels can be. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's a good one. <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. Your your own answer. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good one. Wow. Um yeah. Yeah. What was the one that we said um it's the one where you say you'd love an answer that's not just what's what's your favorite thing about being an entrepreneur? Yeah, that's the one that that, that, that we, I always end with that one. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, um let's see. What's your So your least favorite part, you said the grind and the hustle. It's just a really challenging and not as stable um, as a traditional nine to five. And that can cause a large amount of stress. Uh, things as simple as health benefits are not as simple to acquire. Events such as a pandemic can turn your world upside down and force you to change your entire business. Um, I feel like that's a question that I should have asked earlier. So maybe I'll ask you, um, although it's a lightning round, I will ask you, do you... What do you miss about the nine to five world? Got it. I think that's, yeah, that'd be a good three. Then I would definitely say the common misconceptions. Um, then the, uh, something about yeah, the stresses, non, yeah. Something that the non, those are three good ones right yeah. there. So Great. Yeah, I'll do, cool. I'll do those three. And then I'm, I'm still going to end with, um, what's your, what's your favorite part about being an entrepreneur? Perfect. Uh, do you want me to, I'll just, that's funny. You put the grind and the hustle, uh, in the biggest upside and, uh, yeah. and the, the yeah. part you do part that you love and the part that you hate. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> okay. Thanks for sticking around. We're back, as always, with our quick bonus lightning round. Today, we have four quick questions for Amani. Amani, question number one, what are some common misconceptions about your business? That DJs are just button pushers. They're not uh, essential to the success of an event. And I would ask people, what would you do? Would you like a movie <laughs> that had no music? Question number two, what is something you feel like non-small business owners or people outside of your industry uh, would have a hard time understanding specifically about your work stresses. Just how volatile the um, lead volume and business levels can be. You can have a busy, busy April, a really slow May, a really busy June. You just don't know where it's coming right. from. Hard, how hard fast to plan around that. Up. What do you miss about the nine to five world? Stability, benefits, and Working in an right, office because you have to do so people. much on your own here. Yes, we're trying to fix that world. here yes. on Small Biz Gone Viral. Last question, as always, because we're a happy show, what are your favorite parts about being an entrepreneur? What are some of the biggest upsides? 
I think proving people wrong, people doubt small business entrepreneurs. So proving people wrong and being able to direct your career and your life in the Great way you answer. want to. Amani, thanks again for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Grant. It has been a pleasure.